Welcome to The Sears Show. Join us as we explore medicine, health, mental health, mindset, and fitness, guided by lifelong seeker of knowledge, Sifu Raphael. He will lead us on a transformative journey with groundbreaking insights and extraordinary guests from around the world. Together, we'll dive into the latest holistic approaches to well-being and the profound connections between mind, body, and soul. Sifu Raphael's expertise in positive thinking, resilience, and personal growth will inspire you to reach new heights. Get ready for the Sears show. It's time to embrace a brighter, healthier, and more empowered future. What? I am here with three incredible superhumans. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the the Sears show. This is actually the newest episode that I have going on. I revamped the show, and you guys are helping me launch it. I am beyond thrilled that you're here with me this morning. Thank you. Today, we are we're speaking on empowered leadership principles. So I have Stephen Turner, Bill Merck, and Mike Raber. Thank you, gentlemen. I, I'd love to, um, to ask the first question. How are you doing on this exceptional morning? Great. Exceptional. Yes, very good. Awesome. <laughs> Glad to be here. Always. Yeah. So one of the things that, that um, you know, I love business. And whether we know it or not, we have to have certain principles in our business. So I'd love to have each one of you take it away, give me an idea of what even empowered leadership means to you. Who'd like to go? Well, I can, excuse me. Sure. I can get started. Um, One of the things that I learned early in my career, and again, this started in uh, in Milwaukee, um, was... I was very young when I got started in the management ranks at UPS. I was 20 years old. And uh, when I got started, uh, people, you know, at that point, the people that reported to me were older than I was. And uh, that's not a really good thing. It's difficult between 20, 21 and 22 year olds. If uh, you're on the short end of that stick, you know, if in your 40s or 50s, nobody cares. But the one thing I realized was that if I was going to be successful in this endeavor, with these older, older, young uh, uh, students, basically. I had to come up with a way to get started so that it would, it would work. And I made a choice at that point that I would treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And it's worked for me from day one all the way through to today. So I believe that when we, when we recognize people as individuals, that we communicate, communicate with them at that level and we remember that we are only as successful as the people report to us, yeah. then we're off to a really good start. So that's yeah. really been the bottom line uh, thing I've stood on all of these all these years. 
Mm. And it's always worked. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with you. That's, that all sounds, that's a lot of what I think is um, very important to know, just like um, when you said treat others as you would like to be treated. And in fact, I've written about that. The golden rule is what I usually yeah. refer to. And that's really important. Treating other people as human beings, which they are, regardless of where they are in some hierarchy goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And even to the extent of building community within our organization, one of my favorite phrases is lead as if we are our own employee, or our best employee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that if our employees see us, our customers see us leading from the front, it's a logical follow. But if we push from behind, it's a whole lot more work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. within an organization, I found that if I showed up and built a community, a culture around myself, my employees, our company, and then we got involved in our local community and we continued to build into the community while serving our clients at the same time, it became a very holistic approach to growing the business. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Stephen, I have to, I have to admit when um, I also, when I was young, I had people were answering to me and I happened to have been 16 and I had people in their 40s working on me which was pretty incredible and for them to even there was some resentment obviously Mm -hmm. Um, but when I realized that I was there to help them then the resentment slowly started to dissipate but they needed to have that trust that I had their back, even though I was put into a position. The only reason I was put into that position is because they didn't know my real age. Um, my bosses, they thought I was 18. Um, mm-hmm. so, but, but because I took leadership responsibility when some of these men were, and, and, and young ladies, I say young now because they were way older than me at that time. But when I took the responsibility of saying, let me step up, let me help out. And that's the only reason I was put in that position to be their boss. Because- yeah, you know, that's, that's a very uh, valuable principle, actually. And I actually mm-hmm. ran into that situation. Um, I got to, you know, I was at UPS, so I've been on the corporate tour, moved seven times and all that. So usually, you know, when you're in that type of environment, you're going you're gonna to be in many different leadership scenarios. And one of them was like you said, except it wasn't because of age as much as it was because of uh, experience. I had moved in to uh, supervise basically the accounting function at UPS in Wisconsin. And there were people there that had been there longer than I had been a supervisor. And I had an encounter. I don't know if it was an encounter, a discussion, let's put it that way, where one of the guys that was in the group asked me, he says, are are you another one of these coming in on a white horse to solve all our problems? Mm. And I said, well, actually not. I'm here to learn from you. And Within a relatively short time, I was able to do something that would help him, and the issue was over. Never heard of it again. Right. Nice. So, nice. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences. When I first started uh, my first supervisory job, I had people that were probably double my age. And um, that, uh, also, that's something good for young, young managers to realize is when they're in their first experiences, they are experiences and you can learn from them. And often in those first supervisory jobs, and I'm calling them supervisory because you're not really a full-fledged leader yet. You're still trying to learn, make your way. 
Um, the, the consequence of error is not as great as it is later in your career. So take advantage of that time very early on to learn what works for you and what doesn't work. And then later, I had uh, the opportunity working at three different universities to work with students that were a lot younger than me. And the trick there is to not come across as grandpa, but be able to relate to what they're thinking and what their lives are like and get into their heads to some extent to help them grow. Definitely. And sometimes I found, too, that leadership is thrust upon us. So mm-hmm. always say yes and show up when the opportunity presents itself. great example was I was 24 years old, returned back to the States after a five-year job in Asia, and um, now I'm in Seattle. And I applied for an assistant manager job in a restaurant and figured that I wanted to go to school at some point. I would start as an assistant manager, work my way up to store manager, and then I could go to school while I was doing that. Two weeks into my assistant manager training, I walk in. The district manager is kind of standing in front of the safe with the dumbfounded look on his face. And I said, what's up? And he said, the store manager just unloaded the safe and went to Vegas. Mm. He then later said, as I started to open up the restaurant and get ready for business, he said, I don't know how to say this, but can you run the store until I can find a replacement? I was like, sure, why not? Can't be that difficult. And I stepped immediately into the store manager role and then two weeks later, we got bought up by a corporation. I literally ran the restaurant with the assistant manager title, even though nobody in the new corporation world knew I was a assistant manager. They assumed I was a store manager because I was in that role. And I stayed in that role for two years, mm. which is interesting. Learning as I was going because I said, yes, why not? Sure. You know, another thing that's too, I think, in some of those early jobs where you get thrust into situations like you're talking about and it's a a lot of it's new to you is uh, to learn quickly the difference between uh, simple hazing and challenges to your authority. They're Mm -hmm. two very different things. And if you respond um, uh, poorly to hazing, you get a reputation as having a thin skin and you, it's hard to gain respect. But on the other hand, if someone actually challenges your authority in your role as a leader, you can't let that pass. They're two different things. And sometimes people confuse them. Oh, that's without a doubt. You, you know, when, I have a question for you guys. How do we empower our teams to take ownership? Once you have, for example, like Mike, you took ownership of that job. But how do you empower the people that you just took ownership of and have them take ownership and accountability for their work, for what they need to do so that they can function as part of a team? Can I start with that one? Absolutely. Uh, I think you want to be a guide. You want to be a leader. You don't want to be doing everything. And so you need to encourage your people and uh, to coach your people and as to what to do and try your best not to micromanage what they do. But, but, and then you also have to find out what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And you as the leader need to strive to make sure you put people in the spot where they can succeed and move forward. And then it's also important when they do some good things to let them know that. Don't, I mean, don't whisper it in their ear, but say it out loud in public so that they get the recognition that really encourages them to keep going. Mm. So it's, it's being a guide as opposed to 100% a doer and a micromanager. Yeah, I like that. Think about 
promoting in public and reprimanding in private. Very much, exactly. <laughs> I agree with that. So, Stephen, I, I'd love to ha have your take on that, if you don't mind. All right. I have to say that I lost the... Oh, we, we lost uh -oh. him now. Uh-oh. Uh, I can step in. We lost you for a second, Stephen. You lost the question. So, um, as 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 a leader, how do we empower our teams to take ownership and, and accountability for their work and so that they can be part of a, a team? You didn't hear me. Mike, would you take that? Right. And then we'll yeah. One of the Steve. things that I have yeah. found, but I heard you now. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the things you get to I give think people opportunities. We, we lost you, Steve. And allow them to shine. We, we kind of lost you. All I heard was allow them to shine. Stephen, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's try it again. Okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I can hear you. Um, one, of the, one of the things I like to do is to give people challenges. Because you never know what somebody's ability is until they're uh, challenged to actually uh, perform something under a, a difficult you know, situation. So I would assign people things and basically step back and watch them handle it. And that's not to let anybody fall off a cliff, but rather to encourage them as they go along and uh, help them be successful. It's kind of like mentoring. So instead of directly uh, trying to lead somebody as much as I'm sitting from the back and I'm providing information, providing encouragement to allow them to adjust to that type of situation. And I've always found it to work because people like the opportunity to show that they can do more. And yes. when they can, it's great. You build leaders this way. Mm -hmm. It sure is. You know, yesterday I had, <clears throat> I had several different groups and I had them, <clears throat> they were little kids, right? But there was different ages and I had them pulling a 50 pound bag. I had them one at a time pull it and they struggled. And then I had four of them pull and I put them in different positions to see where their strengths were. And they were thrilled. They were thrilled at. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, if we do it on our own, how much can we pull? And one kid said, it's easy. And I said, yeah, but you didn't get too far. <laughs> I said, what if you had help? He goes, yeah, I want help. So at, at that point, when they all worked together, they were able to pull and it became easy. So that, that was the lesson I was giving them. But the parents were like, my God, that was powerful for my kid to understand. Because sometimes parents say, you want help? And the kids are like, no, I'm good. Meanwhile, they need the help. So sometimes giving, giving somebody enough help to understand that, hey, you know what? You're not in this alone. I think that's, that's a key ingredient as well. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, and Mike, I, I, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Um, definitely, I think that makes a huge um, impact, not only in the employees and the people that we're working with, but it makes our job easier. Going back to the restaurant, as an example, I had, I was two weeks into a role that was supposed to be uh, 
16-week training program. I didn't know how to do three-fourths of the jobs in the restaurant, yet I was supposed to manage the restaurant. So I, we had a team meeting. I brought in food, and I told everybody that my goal is to run this restaurant as if we are a family. And yes, I am given the job to make sure that the restaurant runs smoothly, but you all are part of the team. We are all family by myself. I can't do it. We all need to do it together. So one of the things, even though you all have your prospective jobs that you do, I want to cross train everyone. So every, any one of you can step in and help another person out or even do their job if need be. Now at the time I did it because I needed to learn the job. So I let them train each other and by default train me. I could tell them, I don't know how to do it. Teach you how to do it. <laughs> I had to show up with grace and looking like I knew what I was doing. So I cross-trained everybody and learned through the process. And because of that, whenever something happened in the restaurant, any one of the people in the crew could step in and pitch it. And the restaurant ran smooth and I learned how to run the restaurant. Mm, very good. Nice. Can I give a specific example rather than a general one? Um, Please I do. have a, a woman that worked for me for a while that um, I knew had some real leadership abilities, but she had a great fear, an absolute fear of public speaking. And that was going to hold her back. I could see that. So what I did over time was I would uh, start then in, in big meetings where there would be maybe 40 people present. I would ask her a question that would require a relatively short answer. And then over time, I would ask her more and get her answering questions about something I knew she was familiar with in a group setting. And then when we came, it came to board meeting times where that was a lot of pressure on and TV cameras and stuff like that. Sometimes I would ask her a question in front of that kind of group, which at first froze her up, but then she got over it. But she kept getting better and better at it. Later, um, I don't work at that institution anymore, but I've stayed in touch. And she said that now she's doing public presentations, explaining what they do and uh, being interviewed and, and giving tours. And she feels really good about it. So she appreciated that, that opportunity to start small and get her into bigger and bigger situations to overcome her fears of speaking. Mm -hmm. That, that is huge. Example that can do with a lot of people, I think with, in different ways. Well, Bill, I got to tell you, that is huge. One of the things I do every Saturday, I, I teach public speaking to um, kids from the age of seven all the way up to adults in their 60s. And I do that every Saturday. And one of the reasons I do it, especially for kids, is because wouldn't it be amazing if by the time they went for their first job, they can actually speak? They can ask questions. They can raise their hands even in school mm -hmm. so that they can fall into a leadership position, but not really fall, but actually take control of it because they have the voice. That's I think really having good. a voice is, is what you were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And not being afraid to use it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even age factor, we started the show by talking about as an older leader managing or as a younger leader managing people older than us and having I started my business career as a 12 year old and it started because I was fascinated in, in business but our school had a fundraiser where we had to sell candy bars I lived in the inner city so we all had to take these candy bars and go around our neighborhood and sell candy bars where the people in my neighborhood could barely put food on the table they certainly couldn't afford to buy candy bars mm. and I made up my mind I was going to win and sell more candy bars than anybody in the city 
So I knew I couldn't do it in my neighborhood. And that's where all my competition was. <laughs> so I went to the library and I started to get books on marketing and fig- how to figure out how to create a um, market. And one of the things I learned was I need to find a market that was open to my product and I could afford to buy it. But I also had to be part of said market. So I knew that on the east side of Milwaukee, where I grew up, there were people that could afford to buy candy bars. And there was this one street that all the mansions were on. And I used to say that I was going to sell my candy bars there, but it was mm-hmm. in the late fall, it was 40 degrees outside, so I couldn't put on my winter jacket and jump on a bus and go there because I would look like an outsider. So I chose not to wear a jacket. Was I cold? Yes. <laughs> but that was okay. I was a kid. I got on the bus with no jacket on, went to this neighborhood with my boxes of candy. Not only did I sell all the candy, but I got hot chocolate because some of the people that lived there were afraid that I was cold, which I was. So they wanted to warm me up. Some people would invite me in to warm up and tell me about their story. And then as the sun started to go down, they said, you need to hurry. Here, I'll buy the rest of your candy because you need to go home and have dinner before it gets too dark. <laughs> oh, wow. And I repeated that until I sold out our whole classroom full of candy and yes, won the contest. But as a 12-year-old, I was able to figure mm-hmm. out how to create a comparative or a market um, advantage. So at any age, we can show up and be that leader. We can show up and be that entrepreneur if only we will get out of our own way and do it. Mm-hmm. What an important mm-hmm. concept you I- just talked about, <clears throat> is getting out of your own way. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah. Um, can I ask that question from another direction? Absolutely. Um, one of the things, <clears throat> one of the things that leaders need to do is to is to define what their subordinates are responsible for. Oh, yeah. And when I spent five years in Europe with UPS during UPS's initial international expansion. And so that was, you know, it was great to come from a company that could afford it, but walk into almost an entrepreneurial environment because everything you did was new because we were brand new over there. So as a result of it, we all took, we all assumed responsibilities for things that um, you normally wouldn't have to, but things happened that fast. People had to make decisions and you run with it. Well, I took that to an extreme one time and, um, I can't even tell you what the issue was, but I know the result where all of a sudden um, I made a decision I shouldn't have made. So the guy I reported to asked me to come into his office. And this is all he said to me. He said, Steve, you were never asked to do that. The management team works together to take on these massive challenges. And I, as I thought about that, you know, we were in a rather unusual situation. So I appreciated the comment. That's not to say I wouldn't have probably done the same thing again. But <laughs> when, when there, are, there are certain parameters that the people who report to us have to function in. And so that people don't accidentally, you know, cut, the, cut their own head off doing something they should never be doing. So it's part of the teamwork and the management team working together. And I, I think whoever's in your, under um, our umbrella, so to speak, um, they need to know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do as well. Yeah, you can take that a step further with uh, one of the things that I've written about is uh, good leaders are consistent. They're predictable. You, you, the people that report to you, you want them to know in your absence what you would have done. 
So they don't worry about, well, am I going to do something that's going to upset the boss when he comes back? And then I'll be in trouble. So maybe I better not do anything. Yes. And there's his book. There's one of his books. Oh, right? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But um, I, I, it sounds boring to be predictable, but it really helps the employees to know what you would do in different situations because they will emulate that. Now, if you're a bad leader, they're going to copy that too. So you got to be careful. <laughs> If you're a dishonest person or uh, unscrupulous, yeah, don't go there. But. Yeah. So let you me know, ask you all a, a question. So what strategies or approaches do you recommend for leaders to foster an open and transparent communication within their teams? And then let me add to that is how do you balance the need to empower them to provide guidance in order to be able to assess that? as well. Anyway. Uh, I can tell you for, on a sort of a formal sense, what I did that worked for me was that was I would have um, weekly meetings with my direct reports. And then monthly, I would have a meeting with my direct reports and their second or third people under them. And then about once a month, I would have an even larger meeting with those people I just mentioned, plus they could bring whomever they wanted. And I would encourage people to talk in those meetings and um, I would celebrate successes. I'd talk about what's coming up and I would encourage them to tell the group what they were doing, what they had achieved and those sorts of things. And what really pleased me was at the end of these larger meetings, there would be any number of small subsets of people chatting among themselves before they left. People that didn't normally see each other because of geographic distances and things like that. So that really opened up the communications and made people feel a lot more comfortable talking with each other. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent answer. Um, so not, I'm not going to repeat it all because it was it was perfect. <laughs> let me let me just uh, throw this in. People people communicate in different ways. Some people are more comfortable one on one. Some are more comfortable in a group. Um, what, I did the same thing, uh, Bill, that you did in having the meetings and mix them up. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happens from this, and I, this was, uh, I didn't expect this to happen, but it did once. Um, for whatever crazy reason, I decided not to have the meeting on a given month. Now, there, everybody was used to this thing of getting together and talking and sharing ideas, and they'd get my opinion, that's this and that's whatever. And... Uh, one day, one month, I just didn't do it. To my office, she stuck her head in the door and she says, don't you love us anymore? <laughs> and I said, why do you say that? She says, you didn't have the meeting. Well, you can imagine that was the last one I didn't, I didn't have. And I had it anyway. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we create the environments that we create the environment that we create. Mm. Right? And we have to be aware of how people react in the environment. And when you've got something good going, they like it. And uh, I had someone challenge me one time and said, well, it sounds like you're asking everybody what they're, are you asking them to make decisions for you? And I said, absolutely not. You know, I'm gathering information. Uh, business is not a democracy. We have our responsibilities, but um, Two ears, one mouth. Sometimes, you know, use them accordingly, and uh, it takes us a long ways. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And edification, too, I found very important that generally we are used to, especially as I go, if we are um, doing a, um, 
emceeing an event will edify the speaker, will edify the management, will edify the people coming in that has a higher title, so to speak. However, I found it equally important to edify those who are below us, position-wise, that letting them know what they're doing, that's great. Letting the team know what someone, someone might do something quietly because it needs to be done and think nothing of it. But then publicly complimenting them and saying, well, I am so glad that you took the initiative to do that. It means a lot to me and know that I can put my trust in you. And just building the person up and Mm -hmm. finding ways to continually to encourage from the bottom up so that they feel empowered and then give them challenges, not challenges that they can't do, because obviously we don't want to set them up for failure, but give them challenges that are just at that tipping point and then give them, okay, mm-hmm. here's a, a area or here's a book you could read or here's a course you could take and encouraging them to continue to evolve and finding out what their interests are. One of the things that I often do is I find out what is a goal that someone has. Is it part of the organization? No, but it's important to them. And then I'll find little ways to help champion them and help get them towards that goal. I mm-hmm. often say that my the best thing I can do for an employee or for someone I'm working with is empower them to become better than me. Love mm-hmm. it. Love it. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve, you said something that I'd, I'd expand on just a little bit about the environment. I've got a saying that I like, and that is we create the environment that controls us. And you can think about that, too, in terms of creating the staff that support you in what you're responsible for. You get you have an opportunity over the years to 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 replace people, to hire people. And so you really want to get a a group that complements each other, making the whole stronger. And, And that's really up to you to do as you build your team. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't think people spend enough time going thinking through openings that they have and what they really need on their team to to make, move it forward. One of my best hires actually was I was on the business administration side of things, a financial C- CFO for a while and things like that. But one time I had an opening on my direct report staff and I hired a woman who had a doctorate in philosophy. And people were looking at me like, you got all this financial stuff and building projects and all that. Why are you hiring somebody with a doctrine philosophy? I said, well, look, I've got, I got all the financial and accounting people I need. I need some other voices, some other thought. And when we're having these meetings, when we need a creative solution to something that look at things in a different way than the rest of us do. And so it turned out to be a valuable addition because she just thought about things a little differently than the rest of my group. And it was very helpful. I am. You know, one of the things that we're talking about meetings a little bit, what I've done in the past is I've had everybody write down the ideas that they want to present. And then they had to present it to each other privately mm-hmm. for five mm-hmm. minutes. And then they had to sell not their idea to the group. They had to sell the other person's idea. Mm-hmm. So what sure. happens is empathy was put into the mix. So when you talk about edifying, Mike, that they had to not only edify the other person by becoming the other person in a way. So that empathy is like, how do I fit in? How how do I make this mine? So they had to take the other person's idea, concept, and make it their own and believe in it. And then they had to present it to the group. And I, I did this with about 12 people. And each one of them 
did an amazing job. And all of a sudden they're like, I really like this idea. When it came to, if each one of them presented it, there may have been some blowback a little bit, but because they all believed it. And the, the, the project was, if you, you pick whoever you want to talk with, right? And you're going to take their idea and you got to make it yours. And you have to make us believe it's your idea. If we believe it's not your idea, then we're going to boot you off. And we're going to ask you not to come to the next meeting, which is going to be to implement some of these ideas. All of a sudden, everybody's like, you know what? I'm going to be more invested in this. But I've already, everybody already had shared the ideas with me. So I know they were all pretty good beforehand, before I did this exercise with them. And it truly, truly brought them together. So that unity came, came really, really focused as to a full team who was willing to work with, with each other because they believed in one another. What are your thoughts on that? I love that. And right. actually, if I could share a story real quick, my, just because it incorporates a lot of different parts of leadership, was um, my son was came back from boot camp. And he, there was this, and the, he went into, he was in his program as a teenager. And so he was 16. And then there was this other kid that was much smaller and they were doing push-ups, and they had to do 50 push-ups. and the smaller kid could only, the bigger kids were done, my son included, and the smaller one couldn't, he ran out of strength and started crying. So the drill sergeant comes over and says, stand up, son, why are you crying? And as he's starting to get his composure together, he asked the older kids, what did you learn from what you just experienced? And they said, well, it's not good to cry. He's like, no, there's a time and place for everything. Not in my boot camp, <laughs> but there's a time and place for everything. Boys, you guys get down and start doing push-ups. And so now all the other kids are doing push-ups. And the other smaller kid now is trying to get himself together. And the drill sergeant says, son, those kids are doing push-ups until you get yourself together. If you think I'm mean, they're going to be a whole lot meaner in about five minutes. <laughs> if I were you, I'd quickly pull yourself together. So now the kid pulls himself together. And he says, okay, do you feel better now, son? And the kid goes, yeah. He goes, okay, get down. You guys get up. He goes, you now finish your push-ups. And so he goes down and he tells one of the other kids, get in front of him and encourage him. He tells another kid, get underneath him and put your hand, not touching him, but just underneath his chest. So in case if he needs you to help, you can push him up. And so all the kids were yeah. around this one smaller kid helping him finish his 50 push-ups. And because of that, the kid finished his push-ups. And then he all stood up and he said, what did you guys learn from that? And of course, they were young. So he looked at him and then he said, everyone in, every, in any situation may become the weakest link. In order for you guys to survive, you're gonna to have to learn how to work as a team and step in and help and empower the weakest link because any one of you lives may depend on that. Mm. And I thought the lesson was very powerful as a leader in a business as well. Mm -hmm. That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. I had a similar experience. I was in OCS in the military and the very first Sunday night before everything started, we'd all been through basic training, AIT and all that. Now we're at OCS and the colonel that was giving us the, the talk in the, that night before it all started was saying that I just want all, all of you to know, none of you will make it through this program alone. If you do not work to help each other, you will not make it. That turned out to be so true as 
as it as it unfolded and people were dropped out and pushed out and things like that. And they usually were the ones that it thought they could just handle things without help from their teammates. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, uh, I was a youngster. I was in eighth grade, ninth grade. Sorry. And we had a, we had the football team and I love this story. I tell it many times that um, our coach knew he had a pretty good team. So, you know, we got ready for the first game and the coach came into the locker room, stood in front of the first team, which I was the center on the team. And um, he says, you can't go undefeated unless you win the first game. (laughs) And I mean, that settled into us. And uh, I took that message and I've always, I've used it throughout as a result Mm -hmm. of the fact, recognizing the value of time. And that like in football, you don't have that many games, right? So the first game and the last game, they're almost equal as far as the value of the win. Well, it's exactly equal actually. But so we went out there, we won that first game and we won the rest of them as well. Mm. And it was just like, you know, it was, a, it was certainly a team effort, obviously. Uh, I remember the last game of the season, it was zero, zero at halftime. So in our heads, you know, we've already got this thing won and our coach went berserk locker locker room, but we uh, won the game 21 zip. So uh, we still got it done, but, mm-hmm. um, it was a team, but also the value of time that a minute now is as valuable as a minute in the later. So building a team is is definitely what, what I'm hearing from everybody is empathy, it's collaboration, it's communication. Which one would you say is the most important if you had to pick only one? Well, before you pick, let me add one more to it, and that's integrity. Integrity on the part of the leader. So I think you got integrity there, Will. (laughs) Bill. (laughs) Yes. I honestly don't know how you separate one from the other because you need all. You do need all. I'm stuck between collaboration and empathy because collaboration will help make it easier. But if you can't empathize with the person next to you, sometimes it's hard to collaborate. Mm. True. Uh, I think they're they're all uh, yeah they're all important. Would you you said communication one of the choices? Yes. Yes. With no or poor communication, everything will break down. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. That's, that's that's actually the avenue that they break down fastest. Mm-hmm. Because nothing happens until people understand what's happening. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is kind right. of communication, and. Uh, you know, if if your people cannot trust what you say, or if you don't say anything, you get the same result. That's right. uh, you're stuck before you start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I always say that um, an action has consequences, but mm-hmm. also an inaction has consequences mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's whether we say yes or whether we say no, we still have to take action on either one of them. I put it another way sometimes and to say that taking no risk is a big risk in itself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
What's one of the things that uh, uh, in business, you've all been in business, what's the one thing that you wish you may have done differently? Hmm. Oof, big question. I know. <laughs> it's, that's a hard one because there's a learning curve that we all go through. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to go through making those mistakes early on to learn from them. So I'm not sure I would not want to go back and not make those mistakes because they led to changes in my behavior and my way of dealing with people. So it's, it's really a hard question. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's your job. Ask us hard ones, right? Yeah. I would say probably for me, and there were many of them, and I'm sure there'd be many more. As much as I started by saying, learn to say yes to everything, remember that no is a complete sentence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with an exclamation. <laughs> yes. I said yes to things I should not have. And I didn't mm -hmm. say no to things that sometimes blended two or three years of going down the wrong path in my business that had I stopped and went the other way, it would have been far more successful faster. Yeah. One, of, one of the things I did when um, I came out of the UPS world and moved into the entrepreneurial world and wanted to move into the coaching world, I sat down. And um, this is an answer to your question. And I took my career at UPS. I, I wrote them all down, all the assignments, the uh, type of group of people that I was working with, and what I learned in each assignment. Mm. And what I discovered was that I felt like I was almost like uh, spoon-fed through the entire time. Because whatever happened here, built on the next one, built on the next one, built on the next one. Um, I had an assignment that was out of Columbus, Ohio for three years. And if I was to pick a period of time at UPS, I didn't appreciate as much as others. It was that one because of just the nature of the, of the job. But what it did was it prepared me for what I did in Europe for five years. So you, you see going, you know, reflecting on what Bill said, each of these events prepares us for something else. Right. And so I don't know that I would change anything. I, I suppose there's some decisions I rethink, but uh, I think overall, you, had to you know, go through it the first time you had to go through it the first time to realize yeah. there's that's yeah. something you would like to redo. Yeah. If you hadn't yeah. done it, you probably would end up doing it at some point. Right. 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 You, you know, for me, to be honest with you, I think clarity, asking for more clarity would definitely is one of the things I have learned um, because there have been a couple of instances in, in my careers. And I say careers because I think I've had so many <laughs> that even when I ask for clarity, sometimes the other person thinks that they, they're clear on, on what they're supposed to do or what their roles are but then they don't facilitate that for me or, or for themselves. And then later on, we come into, a, 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 I, I guess, a, a nail in the coffin, if you will, because it killed the deal, right? So for me, clarity, I think, is one of the biggest challenges that I'm always looking for and trying to correct. Every single time I go into either a new deal a new business venture. It happened recently where 
I was clear. They were clear. We had emails back and forth. It was clear as day, yet it really wasn't clear. So, and, and it cost me. It, it cost me uh, quite a quite a small fortune. But I pulled away before it cost me a bigger fortune. So, um, clarity, I think, is one of the biggest things that I need to uh, handle always. A lesson too that I learned early on as I my. Um, career progressed. I ran a started a limousine company in Seattle and ran that for 10 years, which turned into a 10 year sabbatical because my clients, who were CEOs, CFOs of a lot of the larger companies in Seattle, became my mentors through mm. our daily jaunts around the city. And one such individual, I was taking him to Vancouver to buy a $200 million office building. And as we pull up to the destination, I asked him, What in your career is one probably the biggest lesson you learned? And he paused for a second and looked at me and said, you're usually dealing with the problems while they're small. He then paused and said, the problems never change. Only Mm -hmm. the zeros behind the problems change. And I didn't fully embrace what he said. I understood it on the surface level until like six months later, I made a payroll mistake. That was a $46 payroll mistake. I'm 20 minutes over breakfast. I complained to my my wife about how I just wasted $46 on this mistake. Later that day, I was taking the CEO of the MGM Casino to an event, and I'm listening to him in the back of the car talking to a CFO, and he's complaining, and they're having this argument or this discussion about a $46,000 payroll mistake. It's like, oh, my $46 mistake suddenly seems a whole lot better. You know, there's a, right. go ahead. Mm. There, there's a story that I've heard it. I don't know where I heard it at first, and I don't know if it's real, but it's, it represents reality. There was a, a, a person just like you're talking about in a company that had made a, just a 200,000, in the story, a $200,000 mistake. And they realized what they had done. They were just a guest and they went to their boss and I said, they said, I guess you're going to fire me now because and they went through what they'd done. And the boss said, are you kidding me? This company just spent $200,000 teaching you what not to do. You think we're going to let you go now after that investment? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been very, very informative. And I got to tell you, I am thrilled that you made the time to be here with me. We have run out of time, but guess what? I would love for you to come back and Come back and join us many times over and over because I know that these discussions can lead to even deeper and we can go into probably rabbit holes on business and leadership. And it is it is a passion of mine to always ask for more, right? Because if we don't ask, we don't know. So thank you for being here with me today. I truly, truly appreciate it every one of you and anybody who is listening either now or on the replay hit hashtag replay hashtag and then you know follow these gentlemen i put their their information across the screen we will put it there for everybody do us all a favor have yourselves an exceptional day and remember your one decision away from making life better but make it a wise one (laughs) that's that's very good thank you for having me thank you for sure all right you guys enjoy have a great day thank you you too